And so, we come up with this gift from a little girl. Name, wonderful, wonderful story. And I thank uh, uh, Troy for reading that for us uh, this evening. Uh, what an incredible story. I, I kind of, I know I'm a little bit dramatic. Some people say I'm a bit of a drama queen, but you know, you are what you are. But I can, I can just kind of see Hollywood making, well, probably they'd mess it up, but how I'd like to see it, this, this feature film made of it. And I think of this Naaman, you know, and kind of, kind of the, the beginning of Gladiator with his hands going through the wheat, this man of, of huge stature, great, great uh, uh, authority. Uh, he's the king's favorite. He's the general of all the army of the uh, Arameans or the Syrians as we had in the New King James. This man of great power, great influence, uh, really, really was making the kingdom. He was, he was the force behind this, uh, this military might of, of, of this nation. And here we see him, and, and then the camera turns on him, and he's a leper. A terrible disease that uh, we know what the Old Testament talked about, the leprosy. It goes in great detail. These people were shunned, and they were kept by themselves. And, and here is this great man, uh, and I'm sure that he had to, to deal with this every single day of his life that even though he was so powerful you think just how extraordinary this man must have been you, you kind of think okay if, if the, the description in chapter 5 there started with he was a leper that would be the end of it how could he be this great man if he was a leper so how much greater must he have been than the ordinary man and well we can see that uh, there's this uh, there's this young girl. Now, we're not told very much about this girl. She's not not given a name. We don't know where her family is, but she's a young girl. Verse two. Uh, now the uh, Arameans had gone into in bands and taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, "I wish that my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria. Then he would cure him." of his leprosy. You know, sweet words from this sweet, innocent young girl change the course of history. And we cannot underestimate the influence that we can have. You see, we have something that the world doesn't have. The world would love to have it, but they're too arrogant to see it. You see, we have the truth. And because we have the truth, we have the ability, just by simple words, of changing history. You know, that seems a rather grand statement, but I'm looking out at the families that are here, and I know the history that they had before they became Christians. And without someone speaking to them, I can just imagine their timeline that would go on without Christ. And you're here today because someone spoke to you. You need to be great and powerful words because the words are all that's important. The words of God. When Jesus said, Thy word is truth, they spoke to you the truth. And because of that you obey the gospel 
and that your history has been changed and your family's history has been changed. That's what we see here with this little girl. And we'll talk about that, talk about that later. But we think of this man, Naaman, and it seems that he was, you know, while he was a great man, he followed kind of the path of great men. We think of great and powerful men today. They are they're prideful, they're arrogant. They, they really, they, you can imagine him walking with his swagger because, you know, he's Naaman and everyone knows Naaman. Step aside, here comes Naaman, not just because he's a, a leper, but he, that's how, the, how we see it. This whole passage, this whole chapter, is talking about humility. And we need to get that. We need to realize what it's saying. Because this man had no humility. He really was a great man. And the world better recognize that and the world better treat him that way. But anyway, he had the good sense to listen to what this young girl said. And so he goes off to, to the pen. Now, I don't know what he said. We're not, we're not told what, he, was, what uh, he said to the king, but the king, he, uh, 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 well, let's start in verse, uh, go back to verse 4. Uh, Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl who was from the land of Israel. I don't know whether he just said thus and thus, but clearly the king didn't understand it. Then the king of Aram said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, and six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. Now that seems pretty strange to us, the clothes bit. Uh, but you look at it, whenever great treasure is, is shed, clothing plays a big part in it. I guess they didn't have, you know, target. Kmart and best for less. It was a big deal to have these change of clothes. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel uh, saying, and now as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman, my servant to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. <laughs> so here's this great general coming from this great powerful nation coming to the king and said, here you go, here's this letter, this is, I'm ordering you cure this man from leprosy. And so he tore his clothing, you can imagine him renting out, I'm going to die because of the arrogance of this nation, this is a trick, they're going to kill me. Now somehow Elisha hears about this and says, don't worry about it, just send him here. Okay, so you can imagine Naaman, he wasn't traveling by himself, we hear of this, of his sermon, but I'm sure there was a great, uh, great uh, party going down with him, with pomp and ceremony. And so they go to Elisha's house, and I guess they bang on the door, and who comes out? The great prophet. No, sir. Elisha just says to his sermon, go tell that guy, go and dip seven times in the Jordan. I'm busy. <laughs> it's this is where the arrogance uh, comes in. We go over uh, to verse 11. But Naaman was furious and went away and said, 
Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of his God and wave his hand over the planks and cure the leper. You see, the ways of God are somewhat different to the ways of man. I wanted some, some, some drama here. Uh, this supposed great prophet of God. He would come out. I, you can imagine this is because of the, the way that he had seen people talk about his God. But that was not the case. Anah, the Abinar and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel. Could I not wash in them and be cleansed? And he turned away and went away in rage. It's a bit like, you know, people, people think other rivers are better. I was showing uh, Caleb the mighty uh, Williams River today, and he just scoffed at it. And that's exactly what Naaman's doing with... Uh, with, uh, with the Jordan. Now, what is this? I'm not going to dip in that. I've got better rivers back home. And so he went away in a rage. But fortunately, the people around him were a little bit more sensible than him. We've got the, we've got the young girl. Now we've got his servant. Then his servant came near and spoke to him and said, My father, have the prophet told you to do some great thing? Would not you have done it? How much more then when he says, wash and be clean? Just, look, if he had said, go out and kill a thousand of the enemy and bring their heads to me on a thousand platters, you'd go and do it. And you think, well, that's fair enough. I want to be clean and leper. I'd do that. But he says, go, go clean and go, go dip and be washed. That's all you have to do. And of course, sense comes to his mind. He really was a great man. Uh, and he went down. But you can just imagine it. It wasn't, uh, Elisha didn't say go and dip one time in the church. <laughs> Seven times. And you can imagine he dip and he'd come up and oh, there's dirty muddy water and another time. Another time. He'd done it uh, five times and nothing's happened. He still keeps going with it. Six times still nothing happened. Seventh time he comes out and he is totally cured. Now this is the amazing thing about God, really is. This man was tested, and, and sure enough, he was proven uh, uh, correct. Verse 14, he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. You know the most important thing about that? He did it, according to the word of the man of God. You know, we can do mighty things, but it means nothing. But if we do the simple things that come from the words of the man of God, for us it's the words of the apostles and prophets. If we do that, then big things change for us. Something that the world cannot understand. Even those who call on Christ refuse to accept it, refuse to believe it. If we want to be clean, if we want to be cleansed of our sin, we've got to go down, dip and be washed. What's that going to do for our sins? But baptism gives us forgiveness of sins. You remember when Saul of Tarsus, he was waiting in Damascus. He had seen the Lord. He had spoken to the Lord. He had realized his sin. He had fasted three days and three nights. He was blind. And uh, he neither ate nor drank. And the preacher Ananias comes and said, Why do you delay? 
Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Saul did not delay. What's what's washing? If now he's in the waters of, of Damascus, what's that gonna do? He didn't think like that. He recognized the words of the man of God and he obeyed. And that's what we have to do today. We have to follow what we find in the Bible. And something the world looks at is foolishness, is silly, is crazy. How's baptism going to, to wash you? You know, there are some people that really don't get it. So, uh, uh, they, 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 they don't understand it at all. That they think, well, well, baptism, wash away the sins. Well, it's got to be in, in, in running water. Otherwise your sins can't be washed away. It's just going to hang around there. Or can you imagine if you did it in like a swimming pool or a big bath? You know, you know bath sometimes? Uh, maybe you don't know. But if you have enough of the family going through the bath, and I have when I was younger, you get a pretty nasty ring around <laughs> And if you're the youngest, you've got to deal with that. Well, can you imagine the ring you'd get for all the sins? Of course, it's got nothing to do with that. But nothing to do with it. It's following the words of the men of God. God deals with all that stuff. And so we need to be people who hear the word of God. We do not need to be arrogant. We need to do what God says. In, uh, in Romans chapter 12, uh, we read there, Romans 12 and verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. You know, sometimes we think we're above obeying God and doing what he says. We're going to be humble before God. Uh, James 4. Uh, talks about this uh, this humility that we have to have as men and women of God humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you you know the human mind kind of goes the other way you know okay I'm going to exalt myself and then everyone else you know and I'll get what I deserve Jesus talked about it you know when you go to a feast remember what he said he said, you know, don't go up to the, to the top of the table. Hmm. You know, I think I'm pretty important. If I sit here, everyone else will think I'm pretty important. He said, don't do that, just in case someone who actually is more important comes. And the, and the, and the, the, the host says, okay, well, you can't sit there. I'm really sorry. You're going to have to get another seat. And you go down. By now, it's pretty late in the proceedings. And, the, you know, there's no, no seats all the way down. All the, way. the only seat is right at the end of the table. Don't need that. Rather, what you do, humble yourself. You go sit down there. And if the master thinks you're worthy, he'll take you up and put you where you need to be. And you will be exalted. That's what it's saying. Don't think too highly of yourselves. Recognize who we are and what we are. There's this beautiful passage over in uh, in First Peter chapter five. Uh, we actually studied this in Narragin uh, last week. Uh, 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 verse, uh, yeah, chapter 5, starting in verse 5. It 
First Peter 5, 5. You younger men likewise be subject to the elders and all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's about us clothing ourselves in humility. What goes on that everyone can see is humility. Therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in the proper time. Isn't that just what James said? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober of spirit and be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by those uh, by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Humble yourself in the, under the mighty hand of God and, and the proper time he will exalt you. That's what it's saying. Now this is the lesson that we've got to got to see in this passage with Naaman. Jesus lived this perfect life of humility. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I guess he could have said, you know, when, when I don't want to be uh, seem irreverent here, but when he and his father were planning this trip, you know, well, he, I guess he could have said, well, I want to go into a big palace. You know, I'm worthy. There's no argument about that. I want to have more clothing and I want to have the, the latest and the fastest chariots and all that. But he didn't. He humbled himself. He humbled himself to the point of a servant. And then, just in case the disciples and we didn't get it, the very night he was killed, he laid aside his outer garments, put on a towel, and bent down and washed the disciples' feet. That's the example that we have. If the, if the king of kings can do that, don't think that you're too good for it. You serve. You serve <coughs> one another. Uh, and Philippians chapter 2. Uh, I hope you're getting that. This is all about humility. Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 8. Uh, well, let's leave a little bit more. Um, verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than, than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of, uh, uh, of uh, God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of, of men. Being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to, to the point of death, even death on the cross. And that's our example. That's what we have to, to, to strive to be like, to be humble in our position, because we have nothing to boast about. And that's the lesson that Naaman had to learn. You know, this humility, this great prophet Elisha, he'd heard, he'd heard, heard about him from the girl. You can imagine, he would then ask her, Who's, who, this girl's talked about this, this prophet Elisha, who's he? Oh, 
he's a great prophet of God, he really is someone, he could help you. And so he went there expecting big things, and because he was important, he expected to be treated that way. The servant came out to go give him the children. That's all. But he was humble, he learned humility, and he was cleansed. And so too, we need to learn humility. But that's not all this, this passage talks about. It talks also about obedience. You know, obedience today is not something that's very popular because men think that they can do anything. The times that we live in are very similar in some ways, many ways, uh, to the time of the Tower of Babel when they thought they were so good that they could build this tower up to heaven. Now, men can think they can do anything whatsoever. But we need to recognize that we need to be obedient. In Isaiah 55 verse 8 it says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. And we can see that. Naaman's thoughts were, okay, I'm probably going to do this great task. But no, God's ways are completely different. But we have to learn obedience in all, obedience, you know, some people, I, I've spoken to people about this outside of the church, about the fact that the Bible teaches us we need to worship them every first day of the week. Really? Really? We don't have to do that. We don't have to do that. Well, the language that the Bible uses in so many places tells us quite the opposite. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, notice it says, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking your own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Now, wouldn't it be nice if that was just all that needed to be written? Okay, okay, okay. We need to encourage one another. But no, the Hebrew writer had to make it really much more plainer than that. It says, for if we go on sinning, what's the context he's talking about? failing to assemble. If we go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the universities. You know, obedience is really important. You know, the, the importance of following the pattern for the Lord's Supper. You know, people think, well, it doesn't really matter what we can do, we can change it. We're worried about germs. And you know, I guess people are saying, well, yeah, we want our little cups with this uh, coronavirus that's going around. No, no. Obedience is far more important than that. The Lord knew all of these things, and he told us he, to partake in one cup and one word. And he did. And so we have to do that. And sinning, you know, oh, we're not really good sinners, or we're just too lazy, is really what they're saying. We're too lazy to try and sing better. And so we'll bring instruments. And you know what's happening now in the denominations? They're not singing at all. How can they when there's a rock band playing and amplifying so loud that they can't even hear themselves? And well, they're happy. They don't have to sing. But the Bible tells us, sing and make, make melody in your heart to the Lord. All of these things are important to us that we recognize that we have to be obedient. We have to do what the Lord says. It's important that we do this. Obedience is not an option for us. 
We talked about baptism. We talked about the fact that uh, we have to uh, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. We have to learn obedience in our lives. And finally, I said I was going to talk about this in the here. You know, the Bible tells us that uh, we have the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, and Lord, with you even to the end of the age. We have to do that. Uh, maybe you say, well, I'm not a preacher, I can't do that. I can't, I can't, I can't convert people. Well, this girl did. And all she did was just tell what she knew. That's all we have to do. You know, any time in the scriptures, we read God telling his people to, to do this and that. He doesn't ask them to do more than they can do. You know, when we're first Christians, we know that we're babes in Christ, and God knows that. And he expects us to do the best we can as babes in Christ. When we're older, we can do more. Well, he expects more of us. It's the same with our earthly children. And so too with sharing the truth about God. That, co that great commission is for us. We, we have a responsibility to obey it too. Maybe we're not great speakers. You know what? We can invite people to come to church. We can invite them to a Bible study. You know, I would, I would love... There's nothing else I would love for you to send me a message or phone me up. Keith, I'm in trouble because I just asked someone to a Bible study and I'm not prepared. Can you help me? Yes. Where? When? I'll be there. Guaranteed. You can do that. See, you can say, would you like to have a Bible study? And if you don't think you're, you're any fun, there's men here, women here who can help you. I'm certainly willing to help you. And you'll be that young woman. You'll change the history if they follow through with that. But that's what we need to do. We don't need to think that we're so insignificant. If a young child can do it, we who are older and more experienced certainly can do it. But we don't think we can. We're too shy. We don't think we have the knowledge. Well, we do. Because we're not doing it on our own. God will help us. You know, I really need to say something, but I don't feel strong enough to do it. Go to God in prayer. We know this stuff. Say, Lord, just help me. Tell me give, me the, give me the courage to just say anything. Oh, really? Like me to come to church? Oh, really? You would? Yeah. These things, we can make a difference. So this story of Naaman, we don't know anything more about this guy, uh, but we don't need to. We know that he took his, his two mule loads of soil. Now, we're not told exactly what he was going to do with that soil, but he took this piece of Israel back home into Syria. And I just imagine that, yes, he had to help his master, uh, and he asked for forgiveness when he held his master when he prayed. I can just imagine when he would go home in his yard or wherever, we have this little place of Israel where he could go down on his knees and pray to the one and only God that he recognized. You know, what a change in his God. What a change in his God. And we can be that change too.
So we don't like to, to close without extending the invitation. You know, Naaman had to dip seven times in the Jordan. We're, we're kind of fortunate because we don't have to dip seven times, but we need to obey the gospel. We need to buy it through our faith. We need to be willing to repent of our sins, confess the name of Jesus Christ, and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Which, just like Naaman, is a different. That word, baptism, could just as easily be translated dip. You know, you could have uh, John the Dipper, uh, John the Immerser. And as Christ was buried and then rose again, so we too rise to walk in a newness of life. We are baptized into Christ. We are then in Christ. We've done that, and then we go into sin. We're still members of the household of God. We need to do. Uh, we need to. When we sin, we need to repent of our sins and pray to God for forgiveness, and He will forgive us.